Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Justin and Lauren. Today we talk about Mars and some of the mysteries that live on Mars and around Mars. In fact, it's Martian moons and what's happening with them in the future, plus also the mystery of its atmosphere and where it all went and how, in fact, it managed to disappear. This week, unraveling two of Mars's many mysteries. Mars is a mysterious planet. And when you think about all of the many mysteries, from its canals to even now its rovers that are mysteriously surviving long after their use-by date, one of the things that gets often overlooked is the moons of Mars, Phobos and Deimos. And when I say moon, I, I, you're probably picturing something much like our moon, or maybe some of the majestic moons of Jupiter or Saturn. But no, these are more like lost asteroids that have wandered from, you know, the asteroid belt, perhaps, and made their way to circle Mars. And these little rocks, these small rocks, that are only 22 kilometers and 12.6 kilometers in diameter, so not very large, are some of the uh, more interesting satellites or moons that we have in our solar system. In fact, one of them is in for a very, very rough and rocky ride. And that's what some researchers have just discovered. In fact, what they are forecasting is that Mars is likely to lose its moon Phobos in the near future. And when I say near future, I of course mean on the very, very astronomical scale. So really, what, what researchers that have pub- from UC Berkeley have published in Nature Geoscience have actually determined that, you know, look, Phobos, it's been a great moon and all, but it's likely to have uh, give up the ghost, so to speak, in 10 to 20 million years. Now don't worry, if you're thinking this is a bit problematic and traumatic of course obviously for everyone who likes losing their own satellite no one would love that but they will leave behind a beautiful remainder and memory of its presence for once phobos is in fact destroyed by mars itself it will leave behind a beautiful ring that will stay in place from from anywhere from one to a hundred million years and gradually that moon and its shattered remains in the ring encircle Mars, and then fall to the surface of Mars in a beautiful moon shower. So that is the ultimate fate of the moon Phobos, as, as has been determined by researchers from University of California and Berkeley. But why? Why would that happen? How can they make that forecast? And is this something that we might need to be worried, wondering about for our own moon? So to talk about all this, we need to take a step backwards and consider, of course, the nature of the moons of Mars, Phobos and Deimos. So when we look at uh, Phobos and Deimos, we see they have a lot in common with uh, carbonaceous C-type asteroids. And based on that, many people hypothesize that uh, they've actually were captured from the asteroid belt, which is very close by to Mars itself, between Mars and Jupiter. Um, others actually hypothesize that, that there were once many uh, different sized bodies in Mars's orbit around the same sort of size as Phobos and Deimos and they all collided together and the only ones with a high density are the ones that have left remaining as these cores. So there's a couple of different theories about where these came from but uh, it doesn't really matter so much as where it's come from but more that when we know where it's going to go in the future. So well how do we know that this moon is going to be destroyed? 
Well, it all comes back to the tides. Now, you often think of tides as something that have to do more with catching a wave and enjoying a nice day at the beach, maybe some flooding in a king tide. But on a planetary level, tides have an important role, but can also be very, very destructive. Now, our tides, as you know, on our, in our oceans are caused by the moon. The gravitational relationship of the moon and the Earth causes the ocean itself, the liquid, to be moved and shunted around. And what it's actually doing is visualizing for us the actual gravitational forces in a way that's very, very apparent for us. But when you don't have oceans, it can be a lot harder to actually visualize what is going on with tidal forces. But that doesn't mean they're not there. Our moon is actually undergoing a huge amount of tidal forces right now from us, as are many other moons across the solar system. The big, whilst the moons can guide and nudge and influence small, in small ways the surfaces of their planets, the planets themselves can massively influence the surface of their moons, purely because their gravitational effect is much larger. And what actually happens here is in some cases, like Io and Enceladus in, around Jupiter, is that this can cause amazing tectonic forces on these moons, pushing and squeezing and contracting and expanding them as they move in and out of the planet's um, gravitational field. And this moving in and out and squeezing, contracting and, and releasing and contracting and releasing process is what we call tidal forces. And, and it's purely as a result of the gravitational um, fields around these planets. And what this has caused in other planets is these massive, beautiful volcanoes or molten surfaces or a whole bunch of other things. But for a very, very small moon such as Phobos, which is already highly fractured, full of lots of pores and rubbles, it's, it's just getting crumbled apart. And what will eventually happen is once Mars pulls on it and keeps pulling and pulling and pulling, it's just going to crumble like a biscuit, scattering crumbs and chunks everywhere. And as the resulting rubble falls out, and you can model this quite nicely, um, it will actually be coalesced into a ring, much in the same way the rings of Saturn and various other planets actually form in a similar process. This ring will persist for a long time. And why this is so likely to happen to Phobos is it's one of the only two moons in our entire solar system that actually are moving towards their host planet rather than away from them. And this is why the, the forces are going to increase, not decrease, which means it's very, very likely to actually crumble and be pushed, pulled and crushed into pieces rather than our moon, which will eventually really fling away. In fact, the only one of the one in our solar system that's kind of in a similar circumstance is Triton, which is known to be very slightly moving towards its planet, but it's a bit larger and so may not have the same result happen to it. And why is this important? Well, studying these moons and the way in which they're interacting with their planets help us learn a lot about planetary formation, as well as planets' end-of-life stages and how that could be recycled into new planets. Some studies estimate that during planet formation, in fact, 20 to 30% of planets acquire moons that move inward and then ultimately collide into the surface. And it gives you a good feel for just how strong tidal forces are. So next time you catch a wave, think about what's happening on the other end of that wave, all the way up at the moon and the gravitational forces causing this wave on Earth to happen, because they're inexorably linked. And in some cases, it can be great for all involved. And in other cases, like in Phobos, it will end in a pretty beautiful but fatal life for Phobos, becoming a, obviously, a scattered ring that shimmers beautifully around Mars for 100 million years and then falls onto the surface. But at least it gets a fitting farewell.
one of the other many mysteries about Mars is, is there life on it? And this is a question we've been wondering ever since we first gazed upon it. And, you know, later on when we discovered telescopes, we started seeing what we thought were canals and potentially civilization, as we later learned, was just geological traces of potential water flow. But then that raised the question, is there actually water on Mars? And so the story went, and we've continued searching and searching potentially for life. And what we've actually learned recently from NASA is that, yes, there is water on Mars, flowing water, in fact, but it's very, very briny. It's like sitting in the bottom of a salt mine drinking some salt sundaes. But nevertheless, there is flowing water there. But that's another leads to another interesting question. Mars doesn't really have an atmosphere, so to speak. It is blanketed by one. It's a very, very thin, mostly carbon dioxide. And most of what happens is that it's, it's far too thin to prevent large amounts of water on the surface of the planet. Because otherwise, it just sublimes or evaporates away, which obviously means there's no you know, big oceans there. And that's quite sad, because obviously it lowers its chance of having life, or at least being similar to Earth, but it raises a bigger question. Where did all the carbon go? So if it's had all this carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and there's all these other things going on, where is all the carbon from this planet? So now a team of scientists from Caltech and JPL think they've came up with an answer. Their hypothesis is that around 3.8 billion years ago, Mars may have had a moderately dense atmosphere. Not a, not a great one, just a moderate one. And they've identified a photochemical process that could have helped such an early atmosphere evolve into a current thin one without creating the problem of missing carbon that is consistent with existing carbon isotropic measurements. So basically, we've been studying the Martian atmosphere for a long time, and we know the way it looks now doesn't really make much sense how it got there, given everything is so thin. It couldn't have developed to have so much CO2. So how they, there's really, really two possible mechanisms for how the Martian atmosphere got from its uh, some prior state to its current very thin but mostly carbon dioxide atmosphere. So there is either a removal process that chopped away all the excess CO2 or it was incorporated into mineral rocks and carbonates or it was lost to space. So basically, you know, either the, the CO2 went back into the ground and the rocks or it sort of evaporated off and flew away into space. So Bethany Allman, an assistant professor of planetary science and research scientist at JPL, used data from Mars orbiting satellites to infantry carbonate rocks, showing that not, not really in the upper crust of, of the planet Mars's surface, and using dating, there's not enough carbonates to really support the idea that it was actually being held in place inside the rocking surface. So then, where did it go? So to study the escape to space option, scientists examined the ratio of carbon-12 and carbon-13, two of the more stable isotopes, and these are ones we often use in carbon dating, which is, of course, the process for figuring out how old things are by looking at how much of ratios they have of certain carbon uh, subtypes and isotopes. Not, of course, obviously dating uh, big, large stacks of pencils or carbon. Now, we can use these, they can use the measurements um, in the different types of isotopes, much the same way we use carbon dating, to actually infer what actually happened in the past. What they do is actually compare the isotope levels of carbon to meteorites that we've got from Mars. So occasionally meteorites will fall to Earth that actually have their root source from Mars, and they would have come from the mantle as well. So we can actually get an idea about something going on underneath the surface. They also then compared it to data collected from NASA's Curiosity rover. 
And and when they do, and then they also use it to compare to the current recent atmospheric readings. So what they found is that the atmosphere has got a large amount of carbon thirteen, a specific type of isotope. So realistically, they they previously thought that most of the carbon dioxide had been blown away in a process imaginatively called sputtering, which is large amounts of solar wind from the sun bleed away and cause some of the particles, and especially the lighter carbon twelve and heavier carbon thirteen, to escape Mars through being whisked off the top from the solar wind. But there has to be some other process because that is way too small to evaporate so much of an atmosphere. And what they found is that there's actually a process that begins with a particle of ultraviolet light from the sun striking a molecule of CO2 in the upper atmosphere. The molecule absorbs the photon energy and divides into two, carbon monoxide and oxygen. Then another ultraviolet particle hits the carbon monoxide and causes it to disassociate into pure carbon and oxygen. And some of those carbon atoms produce are have enough energy to escape the atmosphere. And carbon-12 is obviously as lighter one, is much more likely to escape than carbon-13. So when we include this ultraviolet light dissipation mechanism, we actually are able to model something and get to something that looks like the current Martian atmosphere. So this is really interesting. It's not just the solar wind that's blowing away Mars's atmosphere, but it's also the light itself, especially the ultraviolet light. And this helps us understand not only Mars's atmosphere, why it has ended up the way it has, what that may mean for life, but also the reactions on our own atmosphere. And it involves a lot of different work from chemistry to physics to astrophysics and astronomy, all working together with obviously robots and experiments actually happening on Mars right now to solve this mystery. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. Today we learned about how Phobos is gradually going to fall into Mars but first become a beautiful ring around the planet as well as how its Martian atmosphere has been gradually whisked away by solar wind and ultraviolet light. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.